Hi, I'm Heather Mulder. And I'm Janice Greeno, and you're listening to Dementia Untangled, where we explore the topic of dementia through conversations with physicians, experts, and community leaders. Our discussions focus on innovative ideas, practical strategies, and proven methods to guide caregivers along a supportive path. Hello, and welcome to Dementia Untangled. Thank you for joining us for this episode of our podcast. Today, our conversation will be with Dr. Blythe Winchester, who is an enrolled member of the Eastern Band of the Cherokee Nation, the Director for Geriatric Services at Cherokee Indian Hospital, and Chief Clinical Consultant in Geriatrics and Palliative Care with Indian Health Services. And we're going to be discussing dementia and the Native American perspective. Janice, I think this is going to be such an interesting conversation today. Here at Banner Alzheimer's Institute, we have had a long-standing Native American outreach program that has been reaching out to tribal communities throughout the Southwest, raising awareness of dementia and starting the conversation. And really living in the Southwest, we truly appreciate the beauty of the impact of our tribal communities. The most recent Alzheimer's Association Facts and Figures report calls attention to barriers to Alzheimer's and dementia care. So I think this is going to be a really important conversation. Our tribal communities do bring so much beauty and rich history to our state and our nation. And you're right. I'm so impressed with the work being done through Banner Alzheimer's Institute's Native American Outreach Program to provide those resources and education and hope both locally and nationally. And just yesterday, our Banner Alzheimer's Institute director shared again about these efforts and about the importance of expanding diversity in research. And it's so great to be part of a team that's seeking solutions and working to minimize barriers. And I'm so excited to have Dr. Winchester with us today. And I, I have a quote about her that I think is I think that this says so much. Here we go. She's widely respected and has great credibility with members of the tribe, says Dr. Richard Bunio, Executive Clinical Director for the Cherokee Indian Hospital Authority. She strikes a real balance between Western medicine and things that are important culturally to her patients. She's been passionate about protecting the tribal elders and other nursing home residents. I can't speak highly enough of her contributions to healthcare here. And you know, Janice, actually the first time that I worked with Dr. Winchester was about five years ago now, where we put on a conference here in Arizona a national conference for Native Americans and Alzheimer's disease. And Dr. Winchester came and presented at it. And I was just so very impressed, not only with the work that she does, but the incredible attitude that she has. And I don't know if she's going to mention it when she talks about her journey, but I found it absolutely fascinating to learn that she actually used to be a Derby girl. Welcome, Dr. Winchester. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So... I mentioned that you were a Derby girl, but I know there's a lot more to that background. Tell us a little bit more about your journey and, and what led you to connect to the dementia community. 
like a lot of people's journey to any kind of dementia care, I had experience with it personally. All my grandparents, you know, who were, who were still alive ended up, you know, suffering from neurocognitive disorders and just kind of going through that experience while I was in medical school and residency and also watching, you know, my parents and their caregiving duties, kind of the progression you know, of this, um, of this process that they had and all of those things sparked something in me, you know, it, it, it also led me to my path in geriatrics in general, but I was just so inspired by watching what a great job that they did in terms of trying to maintain my, my grandparents function and, and quality of life. Uh, and just kind of seeing the struggles and the barriers they had too. just, I felt like there's something that I could do that, you know, if I, if I got involved with this, if I, if I did something with, you know, dementia care with, with diagnosis and education that I could, that I could truly make a difference. And I really felt like there wasn't uh, enough attention being paid to our uh, indigenous people. And the fact that they were also experiencing neurocognitive disorders and, and that there weren't really uh, a lot of uh, programs and things available, at least not way back when I was in medical school, obviously, but but I just felt like it was a real opportunity um, to be able to help people and make a difference. Just dementia itself is a very complicated process. There are many different types. It's difficult to diagnose. It, it requires a lot of, of skill and out-of-the-box thinking and creativity. And I think um, persons who are, are suffering with dementia are, are also very unique. They have really special gifts and a lot of education and, and information they can provide to other people. And so there, there are really just so many things about this that fascinate me, really, just the uh, dementia process itself. So there were a lot of things that kind of just put me in this direction. I, I really couldn't avoid it. It just, it just kept being laid out my path. I find in these conversations so often our, our experts that we're speaking to really have this strong personal connection that has turned into a professional passion for them. I want to learn a little bit more about your role, or I guess I should say roles, um, <laughs> and, and your work with Indigenous people, both locally and nationally. I am uh, very fortunate to, to serve in the roles that I have, really. You know, I... It's, it's difficult because being an Indigenous person who is a geriatrician is really it's pretty rare. You know, we have a shortage of geriatricians, which are, you know, physicians who specialize in the care of elders. Um, we have a shortage across the entire country and that projected, you know, shortage is not, is not really improving much. So I think just being the person that I am in this role, it, it has automatically um, set up opportunities for me to be able to, to be involved in a lot of different things, just because there aren't very many people you know, in this same role. I work where I grew up, you know, with my tribal community here in Cherokee, North Carolina. I uh, practice as a full-time geriatrician here. So I have a, a continuity panel of patients I see. I'm available for consults. And myself and the geriatrics nurse practitioner who works with me, we also work at the skilled nursing facility that's here that has majority enrolled tribal members um, who are residents of that facility. So as far as my you know day-to-day -day clinical practice, that's that's how that goes. But in my role for Indian Health Service, I also provide 
you know, consultation to tribes directly. I try to help with educational programs, program development, policy, uh, research projects, really anything that I can do that will help our elders who I truly believe deserve the very best uh, care that exists. Thank you so much for all you are giving to make sure that that happens. And I'm wondering, can you tell us how dementia is impacting tribal communities? So this is very interesting. When I started, you know, in this, there was not, um, there was not a lot of data existed. There were people who were very important in Indian country who were having these conversations. My mentor, Dr. Bruce Fink, director for elder services and IHS formerly, and um, now has a different role in the Office of Quality, but he and many other people involved in tribal communities were having these conversations like dementia is important, it exists, it's happening, you know, we need to, to build on these resources and make sure that we're prepared, right? But we didn't really have a whole lot of, of hard data or information to support that. And within health systems, it is so important to have, you know, that kind of data and information because it really does drive policy change. It, it drives funding allocation, grant programs. Um, so one of the things that's happened over time is that we have gotten that. We know that neurocognitive disorders, that dementia is affecting you know, our tribal communities, our, our urban, you know, uh, Native Americans. It is affecting all of the people in our populations across the whole country. We know that now. Um, we have the roadmap for Indian country that was published. It's a joint project with the CDC and the Alzheimer's Association. And I think that alone really brought attention and focus to the fact that this exists. It is an issue and we need to prepare for this. Um, between 2014 and 2060, the number of American Indian and Alaska Natives aged 65 and older who are living with memory loss is projected to grow over five times. If you think about that, that is just a huge number. And today, one of every five American Indian Alaska Native adults aged 45 and older report experiencing some kind of subjective cognitive decline. So they are reporting that they have issues with thinking or remembering, and that can be associated with dementia. It can be a precursor. So we have all this great information now that tells us this is happening. Um, I think one of the other issues is that we still have kind of a discrepancy between life expectancy for our um, tribal people versus people of other races in this country. It used to be that our native elders did not live to be very old, but recently because we've made such huge strides um, in our tribal clinics, our tribal hospitals and Indian health service with preventive medicine, with chronic disease management, now we have people who actually make it, you know, into their 80s, into their 90s, their hundreds. And so we're seeing also since people can age into that group now and age is the number one risk, you know, for developing dementia, right. that has been a huge factor. Now we have all of these people that are reaching that age and are getting these neurocognitive disorders. Those numbers that you shared with us are absolutely startling. And I know in our work with the Native American Outreach Program, uh, my colleague, Nicole Lomay, talks to me a lot about how in many tribal communities, there's not even a word to describe dementia. 
Can you speak to the cultural differences in the way that people view dementia? So this is, uh, this is important. You know, it's, it's very important in our populations to talk about how, how do people view dementia? Is this even something that's recognized or seen as a problem? Um, and there has been some data that's collected on this too. And I will first just say a disclaimer that by no means am I an expert on any other tribal views about you know, dementia or neurocognitive disorders, et cetera. But I will share with you information, you know, that I have heard and that I have, have seen and, and been told. Um, some communities have different views about whether dementia is even a problem. Some view it as a part of the natural life cycle. Some may view it as a part of a system of balance that as someone starts to develop a memory disorder and they're starting on a journey towards death, that that allows new life to come into existence and being, so that it is a sense of balance that has to be fulfilled. Um, some communities do not have a phrase in their, in their native language to describe memory loss or, you know, thinking problems or things like that. I mean, I have not been able to find a term in the Cherokee language that really describes this process. It makes it really difficult to help people understand what this is, why we need to recognize it or prevent it in the first place, you know, how we can treat it when we don't have, you know, something like a term to even be able to describe it. Uh, and because we're so heterogeneous across our tribes and we do have all these different viewpoints, I get asked all the time, oh, can't you just make you know, and something educational for every single tribe out there. Can't you just create an assessment? Well, no, I can't. Because we are so different, all those differences have to be taken into account um, to really provide good person-centered care within each of these, you know, indigenous communities. That is so fascinating. And it's so interesting to hear you talk about the differences and what a challenge it must be to face those differences and the fact that some of our tribal communities don't have a term to even describe what dementia is. Can you tell me what are some other challenges that you have seen around dementia in tribal communities? One of the challenges I've seen is a challenge that exists not just in our communities, but I think it's amplified because of many of the other challenges in our health systems. And it's that a lot of times family members or even the person who's being affected by memory change, they understand that something is happening. Something is not right. Something is abnormal. They may seek out someone to help them, whether it's a healthcare provider, you know, a nurse, whoever it is locally, and they are often not getting the answers, the evaluation, the diagnosis that they need. And I know that's a challenge everywhere, but I think sometimes it's different just because of a lot of these different cultural issues in our communities. We know that in general, you know, there aren't enough specialists um, who really are the dementia experts. Part of what I do is I'm always trying to help primary care providers feel more comfortable and more capable in diagnosing dementia, you know, neurocognitive disorders. And I think a lot of times in our tribal areas, there can be turnover, there can be trouble accessing care. There are a lot of other 
other factors involved that make it extra difficult for people to obtain the workup and the diagnosis that they need. Um, there are lots of people who are working on this right now to improve it. Um, so I do feel like it's going to improve, but it is kind of an ongoing challenge and different thing to consider. Another thing, you know, that kind of makes it different uh, in our communities is we often have the idea or the, the concept that our, our elders really are in charge. And particularly like in my community, the elder women, they they run the show. They are, you know, very well respected. We look to them for, for leadership, for advice, for consultation on, on any number of things. Having to have this, you know, situation where, where someone who is a revered tribal elder, you know, and a, and a woman in particular here, like it is with my community, who is starting to experience problems with memory and thinking, it can be very difficult to kind of navigate how to encourage you know, that person to get a, a workup, to get assistance, um, or to even get their family to be uh, more proactive, to have more of a role when we're used to this person kind of, th this person's told us what to do. You know, we've always gone to her for advice. We always defer to her to tell us what to do. So it can be difficult sometimes navigating that relationship where you're really trying to help someone, but you're also really trying to honor that person, to respect them, to make sure that you're not, you know, affecting that person's perception or view or hope or that sort of thing. Um, so that's just a couple things that that come to mind about, you know, particular in our communities, the, the difficulties in navigating this process. I feel like we just kind of keep adding layers to the onion here around the complications of serving tribal communities, the complications around supporting people living with dementia and their care partners in indigenous communities. I wonder if you have any, and I, I think I may be adding another layer to the onion here. Uh, do you have any statistics around barriers with dementia care? So here's what I can say about barriers to dementia care. So I mentioned data before, and part of the piece of, of gathering information about the current state and what's happening is that gathering data in our communities is a little bit more complicated. You know, a lot of our populations have really been exploited and taken advantage of when it comes to gathering information and data and the purpose of that. Just trying to get information alone about um, how many tribal community members are afflicted by dementia who have that diagnosis. Sometimes it, it takes a little bit extra time and consideration to get that kind of, you know, information. Um, so I would say, you know, just acquiring data itself has been, you know, a little bit of a challenge in terms of the statistics. I've already mentioned before the access can be difficult. Um, we know that a lot of primary care providers are not comfortable with making the diagnosis of a neurocognitive disorder. So we know there are tons of people who are not getting the diagnosis. And I will tell you that there, there's been information published that says that even if the provider knows 
that a patient has dementia, they only deliver that diagnosis to them 50% of the time, which actually means that you have people that know that something's not right. They think, oh, you know what? I think this person may have Alzheimer's disease, but they're not sharing that information with the patient and the family. So when you're trying to look at statistics about barriers and about what's happening in our tribal communities, just think about those you know, those issues that I brought up that we already know a lot of them aren't even getting, you know, the diagnosis that they need to be able to avoid crises, to be able to prepare, to be able to do the things to help their brain health. So those, you know, are just a few of the barriers kind of off the top of my head that, that really kind of speak to that issue with, with data and our communities and, and access to care and, and that sort of thing. When you speak of access to care and you you have talked about improvements in healthcare uh, and tribal communities, can you tell us about improvements around dementia care that you've seen? So this is my favorite thing to talk about because framing and language is a huge part of my practice in geriatrics. I truly feel like as a as a provider who has been trained in this traditional educational system, that our language revolves too much around negative, you know, things like the way that we describe things is often not, not in a positive light. It's not, and and I really feel like we can make adjustments to this. So, you know, having talked about so many different challenges and barriers, it, it is my favorite part to talk about what's currently happening and what improvements have been made, even in the um, relatively short time that I've been involved in, in elder care with our indigenous peoples. We have so many fantastic people who are involved in elder care in our tribal communities. And then we also have amazing people who really are focused on dementia care and what can be done to improve it. In the time that I have been, you know, practicing as a physician, the mentors that I know continue to work on this. They have lots of different things that they have made strides in and made able to happen. Part of that is data collection. We currently have lots of different projects undergoing um, that will provide us with a lot of data about dementia in our tribal communities. We have people who are doing projects involving interviews and talking circles um, with our indigenous people to really get at the root of what is it that we need? You know, what is it that will help um, in our communities, help with caregiving, help with diagnosis? That is so hugely important. And I cannot stress enough that really, if you want to improve, you know, dementia care in our tribal communities, well, you have to ask the people who are dealing with it, right? It's not enough to just assume that you have a good idea and think that it's going to work. It really is important to talk to the community champions, to the elders, to the people who are living with dementia and find out, you know, what those needs are. So there are a lot of projects addressing that currently. Um, I mentioned the roadmap before. That's really a public health guide. And I think that's done a great job with helping communities see what the risk is, you know, why our tribal communities, why our tribal members are at greater risk of developing dementia, you know, and what they can do about it. Like, okay, this, you know, you guys talked about all the layers of the onion. It's like, yes, if you just look at this, 
you can think, wow, this is pretty overwhelming. I don't, I don't really know what I can do to make a difference, but you can. There are so many different things, you know, that can make a difference. And the roadmap kind of helps by laying out different areas where things can be done and guidance for tribes to be able to look at that and say, okay, where's something that, you know, we can implement a program or we can look at improving a process that will help, you know, in terms of dementia care. We have uh, lots of different groups. IA Squared is one of them who has, you know, grant funding and projects dedicated to improving dementia care in our communities and caregiver support. Um, NICOA, the National Indian Council on Aging, also has been focused on, you know, this database of elder services, making sure people know what the resources are that are out there. We also have UNITE, which is a very interesting group. It is a nursing home collaborative for all of the tribal skilled nursing facilities across our country. They share best practices. And a lot of times, you know, that relates to dementia care. They have published, you know, best practices around dementia care for um, for tribal people in our skilled nursing facilities. And that's just a few, I could go on and on about all the <laughs> amazing things that, that people are doing. Um, the most recent thing that I'm so excited about is that we have started with, um, with Indian Country Echo having a dementia echo that occurs twice a month um, on the second and fourth Thursdays. And the second one is really a clinically based echo that's educational. Uh, and then we discuss a case, you know, which is kind of part of the usual echo format. But that fourth Thursday is a caregiver support echo, really encouraging, you know, any caregivers, formal or informal, to join, to ask their questions, to share stories. Uh, and I'm really hoping that that's going to continue and make a difference uh, in helping people, you know, everywhere with dementia care and, and all of the facets of that. You've mentioned a lot of these really big picture initiatives that are happening, like the roadmap to Indian country and the work that IA Squared is doing. I wonder if we could take a turn now and focus more on the person who's living with memory loss and the people who are providing care for them. Do you have some specific strategies that you have found that are especially helpful for these um, individuals? So a lot of this, you know, depends on kind of what, where you're at in this process of having a neurocognitive disorder. Um, and I'll talk with people about this all the time. Sometimes I'll get a person who may reach out to me and say, you know, look, I, I really want to be able to get services for my mom. You know, we stay with her part of the time. We understand that due to safety risks, we really do need a little bit more supervision, but we want her to be able to stay in our house. I have been to the provider, I can't get a diagnosis, what do I do? And it's difficult, you know, if the person is in this step where they haven't been able to get the diagnosis yet, um, but sometimes, you know, that happens. And I encourage people, please, you know, see what kind of um, resources you have in your area for diagnosing memory disorders. You know, is there an academic center? Is there someone that's at your local clinic or hospital who's really kind of a champion in geriatrics and, and really likes, you know, to do these kinds of assessments and things like that? Do you have any kind of Alzheimer's Association support group or do you have a dementia care specialist in the area? So that person is in a different place asking questions than the person who reaches out to me and says, oh my gosh, I cannot get my dad to take a bath. You know, I am so frustrated. He fights me. He tries to punch me every time that we do this. 
what can I do? So I think it kind of gives you a picture that the spectrum of, of needs that people may have across this is, is really variable. Um, so there are big picture concepts that are, that are helpful. One of those being, I think, getting a diagnosis you know, is important, or at least making sure that everyone's on the same page, that there is something going on, right? That can be extremely helpful. Uh, another thing that can be important is that early on, as early on as possible, that we really try to get in place advanced care planning, that we kind of know what the person, you know, who likely has a memory disorder would want you know, in the future, because we know that things are going to progress. You know, who is it that's going to be the healthcare decision maker? Who is it that's going to pay the bills? You know, who's going to provide the meals, the transportation? I think having those conversations early on and preparing people has worked very well, rather than waiting until there's a crisis and the person didn't know this was going to happen. The family doesn't really have a chance to look ahead and see what they would want for the future. So advanced care planning, very important. Those have been steps that I think for, for almost everyone, no matter where they're at in the disease process, can be helpful. Other things kind of big picture, I talk to people about prevention. And what I'm focused on so much now is kind of an early diagnosis, picking up on things like mild cognitive impairment, you know, so that you can really have a conversation with people about their general brain health. I see so many people that don't really understand the association between diabetes and neurocognitive disorders, that if you have diabetes, you're at much higher risk of developing dementia. And I try to talk with people, you know, about brain health in general and how important that is. Keeping your blood pressure under control, we know, is hugely important for brain health and helping you to avoid a diagnosis of dementia. I think sometimes people get caught up with the kind of family history and they say, oh, you know, my mom has dementia. I'm so worried. Well, family history is a factor, but it's not the number one factor. So yes, if you have a family history, your risk may be increased, but really what we need to be focusing on is making sure that people know that their blood pressure, their uh, sugars, their exercise level, their sleep, their stress, um, how much they're cognitively engaged in challenging themselves. All of these things can help with brain health. Thank you for sharing these incredible strategies. I have one more question. I know our time is wrapping up, but I'd really like to know, how has the pandemic impacted the ability of families to care for their loved ones in tribal communities? I know that's a big question, but in a nutshell, can you share with us about that? Yeah. So we've seen a lot of challenges, you know, everywhere really, because we saw how much um, elders were affected by COVID, obviously um, they're high risk, you know, of complications of hospitalizations of death associated, you know, with the virus, putting those kinds of risks aside. If you're a person who's living with dementia um, or a caregiver for someone, you can imagine, you know, kind of how many different um, challenges there may be, in addition to just kind of COVID in general and how, how scary it's been and, and what's it, what it's involved. We've had um, difficulties with, you know, people who are living with dementia and are at home and rely on nursing services, home health services, people who come into the home. Obviously COVID has caused, you know, issues with that. 
it is very important for our people living with dementia who are um, who are at home that they continue to get the socialization they need, um, that they continue to get those interactions, um, the support. But here's what I'll say: you know, our our indigenous people people have tried to get rid of us many times before and have been unsuccessful. There is nothing you know that was involved with COVID that our communities couldn't come up with creative solutions to get around. And I have heard many stories about amazing things that have taken place, you know, through teleplatforms um, like Zoom, you know, with with phone reach outs, with window visits, with everything that you can imagine to try to help and make sure that people were supported, you know, during this time. So did COVID affect us? Yes. Did it, you know, completely derail any progress we've made? Absolutely not. And on the contrary, I'm quite impressed with how everyone has has handled this and what they have done. But I shouldn't be impressed. We're indigenous people. We're that's what we are. I mean, we're resilient. We can we can do anything. Dr. Winchester, normally as we close these interviews, we want to know your final thought related to the subject, but I wonder if we could change things up a little bit with you and maybe let's try to manifest. Tell us about your ideal looking ahead in Indian country and the care of people living with dementia. Oh, I love this. So, you know, my dream for the future is that anyone who you know, identifies a concern with their thinking or memory, that this is not a stigma. This is a, a part of a process, a disability rather than a disease. That if you start to notice that you have memory or thinking problems that you say, you know what, I really need to go see somebody, see my provider talk about this because I know there are tools, there are things that I can do to help prevent this from worsening. I know that there's actions I can take I know that my family will be supportive and they also need to be involved with this discussion. So I want people to be able to think that way, not to be scared of getting any kind of memory or thinking problem evaluated, that that stigma doesn't exist anymore. That is ideally what happens in the future, that people can go to their providers, a primary care provider in any IHS or tribal clinic or, or urban clinic anywhere across this country, and they can feel comfortable that they're going to get you know, the diagnosis they need in the rare case where it's not something that a primary care provider can handle, that they can access the specialty care they need, and that each person gets person-centered care, you know, a, a plan that really suits that person's life, what their goals are, that we have systems in place to support them in their home, preferentially as long as possible. And if they end up having to transition to a different place of care, that that place has a familiarity, that it has, you know, some cultural continuity with their community, that they can feel like that that place is a home. Um, the other thing I hope for is that we really we really just focus on brain health as a part of all person health, that we're not just thinking about dementia being an older person's disease because early onset dementia is the fastest growing dementia that we have. So I, I hope in the future that we are really, we're talking about brain health and dementia prevention, even as people are young and they're wearing helmets because we know that traumatic brain injury is a risk. I really want us to incorporate it into every disease process and how it relates to that so that it isn't this separate thing, that brain health isn't its own thing, that it's incorporated into everything.
Today, our conversation has been with Dr. Blythe Winchester, an enrolled member of the Eastern Band of the Cherokee Nation, the Director for Geriatric Services at Cherokee Indian Hospital, and Chief Clinical Consultant in Geriatrics and Palliative Care with Indian Health Services. Dr. Winchester, I'm, I'm so grateful for you taking the time to share your passion and your knowledge with us today as you help us untangle memory loss and dementia in Indian country. Thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Dr. Winchester. It has been an honor to have you today. And thank you, Heather, for another great conversation. And of course, we want to thank our listeners. Thank you for joining us. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Dementia Untangled and share this podcast. I'm looking forward to our next conversation on Dementia Untangled. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dementia Untangled. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Dementia Untangled is hosted by Heather Mulder and Janice Greeno, produced and edited by Amber Ayers, and is brought to you by Banner Alzheimer's Institute and Banner Sun Health Research Institute. We are supported by generous donations to the Banner Alzheimer's Foundation. Please visit our website at banneralz.org and follow us on Facebook to learn about upcoming events. If you have questions or comments, please email us at dementiauntangled at bannerhealth.com. <music> <laughs>